0: Today's guest has had a lifelong love affair with words. Marissa Pulselli is a writer, coach, and speaker whose love of words began with her first library card at age six. The founder and CEO of WordTree and creator of the Heart Smart writing method, Marissa draws on 18 years of teaching experience, 10 years guiding student journalists, five years in the corporate world, and a lifelong love affair with words to empower people to claim their voice. She specializes in developing authentic one sheets, resumes, and LinkedIn profiles, and connecting people with the power of words in workshops, speaking engagements, and her online mini-series, The Power of Women Using Their Voices. I am so excited to share Marissa with you, and tune in for some excellent advice on not only resume writing, but how to use LinkedIn as a powerful tool to get recognized and grow a business. Hello friends, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in this second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness, It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Hi, Marissa, and welcome to the second phase
1: podcast. Hi, Robin. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for this great opportunity.
0: Well, thank you for coming. I'm super thrilled to have you. Will you please tell the listeners a little bit about you?
1: Sure. So I live in the thriving town of Quakertown, Pennsylvania. I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, Quakertown's about an hour away and I absolutely love it. It's a little bit of a slower pace of life, um, but has a very unique vibe to it. I live with my fiance and his two sons and our adorable dog, Max. He is the world's most lovable rescue German shepherd out there. He's a lovable oaf of a hound and um, (laughs) has no concept of his size. He's 136 pounds and he walks around, he he moves furniture when he walks. So um, he's just, he's a gentle giant. Um, I was a teacher for many years and now I'm a writer and I just really enjoy helping people connect with their voice and, and love doing that here.
0: Oh, and you do a beautiful job of it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've enjoyed our collaboration as well.
0: Yes, we've, we've done quite a bit together and it's <laughs> yes. been very fun. Um, if anybody is interested in seeing samples of Marissa's work, she did the copy for my website and she did a beautiful job. And um, we've also collaborated on working with some branding clients together where she has done um, the copy for them and now does their blogging and everything else as well. So she's a woman of many talents when it comes to words.
1: Thank you. I'm a woman in love with words, so yes. that's where the talent comes from. I think that uh, it, it's something that is a gift that I hope to hand on to other people.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And you know what? It it's so true. You you get to do something that you love, and it fuels your passions. And I think whenever anybody is blessed enough to get to to work with something or do something that they have a gift for and are passionate about, it comes through in the work.
1: Mm, I agree. I agree. And not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when I do work with clients on resumes and LinkedIn profiles, one of the things that I advise them if they're trying to decide between multiple career paths is to start writing first for the one that most ignites their passion. So I think that people see that authenticity, they see that excitement and it comes through on the page and you feel more confident when you're presenting yourself, when you're talking about something that you love. So yes, authenticity is where it's at, doing what you love.
0: Yeah, 100%. I agree. So tell us, Marissa, about your first phase. I know you were a teacher.
1: I was. So I had no clue what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was not one (laughs) of those kids who said, you know, I want to be an astronaut or a ballerina or anything like that. I just thought, you know, I want to travel and be happy. So I guess independently wealthy is what I was aiming for there. But, um, (laughs) you know, I went to college and I studied um, literature and um, philosophy and theology and latin and german and anything that made me happy that was not at all practical in in the in the wider (laughs) market um and after college i sort of had this idea i grew up with this idea which i attribute to my father who was um in the peace corps for two years he had been to india spent two years in india in the peace corps um from 1966 to 68 i grew up with this idea that before you settle in and you start paying your bills you go out into the wide world and you give something back so not knowing what i wanted to do i signed up for a program that it was uh it was really missionary work it trains catholics i went to a catholic university it trained catholics to go to former communist countries and to teach english as a way of service to the people there so my introduction to teaching the first time i stepped in front of a classroom (laughs) was in Banska Bystrica, Slovakia, um, which was is an absolutely beautiful town full of amazing people with whom I am still friends and, and still love to keep in contact. And I thought, I really like this. <laughs> you know what? I'm good at it too. So that was how I decided that teaching was it for me. And when I came back to America after that year there, I took a job in the high-paying world of Catholic education. And... <laughs>
0: We're still I, on your track yeah, to
1: make a lot of money and travel. Yes, okay. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, I taught Latin and theology and uh, in in uh, high schools in Philadelphia, and for ten years I worked with student journalists, helping them to bring our school newspaper from something that was literally mimeographed in someone's basement um, back in the days when there were still <laughs> mimeographs uh, to a sixteen to twenty four page paper that was internationally awarded. And we created a whole desktop publishing program that had scholarships for incoming eighth graders. And we went to Columbia University and I taught lectures there for student journalism. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Oh, wow. Yeah. You didn't didn't know know, all that, did you?
0: I didn't know all (laughs) that. I had to have you on the podcast to learn about you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's beautiful though. So you have really touched a lot of people's lives
1: I hope with so. your words or with the use so. of words. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's what I always wanted to do.
0: <laughs> Clearly, I, I, can see, I can see that you loved what you did.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. what took you away from that?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, I truly love being a teacher and I don't feel that I ever stopped being a teacher. Um, However, my position within the high schools that I was in, it started to get to a point where I was starting to feel a little bit worn down and um, encountering some some issues of uh, difficulties that it became hard to fight against. And it was affecting me as a person and as a teacher. And I believe, I'm being very blunt and honest here, more so here than I've been publicly anywhere, um, I believe that students deserve you at your best. They don't deserve to have someone in a classroom who feels jaded because they've come up against problems that they keep running up against and can't solve. So when I realized that I was starting to feel that way, I decided to gracefully bow out while I was still good. Mm-hmm. and not inflict an unhappy teacher on a classroom of children who deserve better. So I left, and I, uh, I did five years in the corporate world after that, and it was sort of a, an intermediary step to my second phase. I ended up working for a company that helps people understand their healthcare benefits, and I worked in patient advocacy. So it was something that really satisfied my desire to help people and my desire to educate. I also worked in the organization's learning and development department, writing curriculum and facilitating uh, classroom instruction for new hires and ongoing training. So I was able to continue the educational piece even after leaving education.
0: Uh huh. Just educating a different population.
1: Yeah. And about something that there's a real need for. The healthcare mm-hmm. system is so fractured and people enter it when they're at their most vulnerable. So, there's such a need for someone with not just knowledge, but with compassion to break terms down into layman's terms and come up alongside somebody and say, I'm so sorry, this is what you're going through. Let me help you. Let me help you understand how many physical therapy visits you can get to maximize your benefits. Let me call this doctor for you and see what we can do about this bill. Maybe set you up on a payment plan so it's affordable to you. Those were things that I was able to do for people who really needed help. And I am very grateful for that opportunity.
0: Oh yeah, it, there's such a need for that. You know, having—I think—anytime you have older parents or grandparents or mm-hmm. even siblings who have gone had to go through the health system because of of a serious disease or, you know, some type of life change and they don't understand the benefits that are there. They, and they don't understand what, what really they have rights to and what they've been paying for. And then when they're just told, no, they don't know they can actually fight for that or, or how to even approach it. So I think that is huge. That's a really, really great opportunity to be able to serve people that way.
1: It was, and I feel very honored that I was able to do that. And it was a great intermediary step for me from teaching in the classroom to what eventually became my second phase.
0: Which is?
1: (laughs) Which is, ta-da, which is (laughs) writing and speaking and helping people connect with their voice. So what I eventually began to feel, and I'm someone who really tries to stay in touch with my own intuition and my own inner guidance. So I knew when it was time to leave education as a profession. And I began to know when it was time to leave the intermediary job as well, because I was feeling more and more pulled towards what I had been doing unofficially for most of my life, which was helping people write and writing for them. And I had been doing that throughout my job as a teacher, helping students with resumes, helping them with college applications, helping colleagues with applications for grants, um, writing curriculum. These were all things that I had been doing as LinkedIn came on the scene. I was working with that as well. In the company where I worked in healthcare, I was doing that for colleagues also. So these were all things that were happening. And I was just doing them as a favor to people because I loved it. But it became more and more clear to me that this was my vocation, my calling. And so I started to do it part-time. I founded my company, Wordtree, and I began working part-time. And it grew to a point where um, it became very obvious that I could no longer grow it and still continue to work part-time. I had to make a choice. And so on one fateful April morning, (laughs) I, I went in and I banked my employer and, you know, gave my notice and went full time on my own. And it's been the entrepreneur's life since then.
0: (laughs) And when was that, Marissa?
1: That was four years ago.
0: Four years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah and it's 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 funny, you know, as an entrepreneur you you're flying by the seat of your pants sometimes, but at mm-hmm. least it's your own pants, you know <laughs> so
0: <laughs> so when they're on fire, you only have yourself to put out <laughs> right you're only <always> smacking yourself <laughs> that is so true, and so you went from always having an employer mm-hmm. to becoming self employed yes so did you know at the beginning like did you i can tell you right now the answer is gonna be
1: no No. (laughs) if even if you just began the question with did you know no i didn't (laughs) i didn't know i had zero knowledge of how to be an independent business person i had always been a professional But that's different from being an independent business person. It's different from understanding what's the difference between an LLC and an S Corp, how to set up separate financials, how to market, which thankfully I haven't had to do because the bulk of my business is word of mouth. So I still have a lot to learn there um, for myself. I do it for other people, but not so much for me. Um, I had to learn all of those basics. I I didn't know how to write a business plan. So I was connected, um, with a free resource. It's called score of of Bucks County for anyone out there. They just
0: asked me to speak and I, unfortunately I'm going to be away, so I won't be able to do that date, but I am going to do some workshops in the fall for them.
1: Fantastic. They're a great organization. Um, they they basically have a lot of retired professionals and business people who volunteer their time to mentor those who are coming up in business. And I got connected with The most fantastic mentor ever. Shout out to Marty if you're listening. Um, And he told me so many amazing things and really helped get me started. And from there, I began putting feelers out. I connected with um, several networking organizations, um, some people who were really influential in my business development, and was just able to learn over time with some trial and error. I made mistakes. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes, I would say, around. Not understanding and being firm on my own boundaries with clients. So in the beginning, I gave a lot away. And I think unwittingly people can take advantage. I don't mean that there was any malice there, but people will use what is offered to them. And when you don't put a limit on what you offer, people will use and, and you can burn yourself out that way. So that was a huge lesson that I had to learn was that I can be more effective and more generous with people, if I also create my own boundaries and respect my own time and, and talents by appropriately pricing and putting limits on you know the lengths of consultations. They can't go for four hours and be the same price as something that's one hour. And that was something I didn't understand at the beginning. So all of that was new to me, and all of that was trial and error. And four years down the road, I still have a lot to learn about it, but I'm in a much, much better place.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that because I I think that we all go through that as entrepreneurs because we're desperate for that business. We want to make this work. We want to be successful. So we give and give and give, which I am all for giving free information. (laughs) And I think there's a platform for that, the blog and email newsletters and social media posts and things like that. But when it comes to our time to spend with someone and have them actually, you know, dig deep into our knowledge base you know they pick our brains yes um, to do that for free over and over and over and and have those hours spent for free when those hours could have been spent with someone else that was paying you and it's 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 a learning curve
1: it is and it's something that i think really does require you to stay in touch with your own inner compass because i do always want to be i do always want to have the freedom to help someone who maybe doesn't have the resources. I want that freedom, but I don't want that to be the norm because that will not produce a happy Marissa. <laughs> and you want me to be happy because I'll be a better writer for you if I am well-rested and have had a meal that day. And, you know, I'm not feeling like a hamster on, on a wheel. You know, it, 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 you'll get a better result. When you also invest in the person that you're working with. So yes, there is that freedom. And in fact, I I did a project for someone this past weekend that there was a lot of, um, a lot of leeway there Mm -hmm. as far as what was given, but that was my choice. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it's what I didn't feel obligated and I didn't feel like that's what I have to do all the time. That was a single case and it was my choice.
0: Well, I think it's when it's your choice, you're not feeling taken advantage of. Yeah, It's Mm -hmm. when you feel taken advantage of that you start to feel a little bit of resentment. And then when you start to feel that resentment, that almost turns into anger and frustration. And then it's like a vicious cycle because you can't get that positive energy and passion back.
1: That is so important. That's such an important point for, I believe, anyone to understand from both angles, from the perspective of an entrepreneur and from the perspective of a client the energy between you and your collaborator is vital. And if there is a lack of trust or a lack of respect, then the product, the end result is not going to be as good as if that energy had been positive and mutually uh, respectful.
0: Yeah, I agree 100% and i think that crosses over on so many aspects of life but especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're you're trying to make this business work for yourself you have to keep that positive energy mm-hmm. and get rid of all negative
1: yeah i i learned how to fire clients i've i've only had to do it maybe 3 times but i have done it and gently and kindly and in keeping with my mannerism but there are circumstances where you have to learn that not everyone is the right fit for you and that's okay doesn't mean that they're not the right fit for another person. That's
0: right. And I think we, it's important that you, that everyone recognizes that because we all have our own unique gifts and talents, Mm -hmm. but that lends us to work with certain people. And we have certain people that are our people, the other copywriters or the other photographers have their people and the way we communicate what we do and how we do it. And, And everything is how we connect with the ones that are really our people, that we are meant to be working with.
1: Which is why I don't believe in competition. I don't consider anyone my competition. I have many copywriters, many other writers who are friends, and I promote them. It doesn't bother me if someone offers a service that is on paper, similar to mine. Maybe someone else does resume writing or LinkedIn development or consults with speakers on their scripts. I'm sure there are many people who do this. Good luck. God bless you. (laughs) I wish you success. It doesn't bother me and it doesn't threaten me because their way of doing it will not be my way. And the people who are meant to work with me will. And there's enough out there for everybody.
0: Yes, 100%. I couldn't agree more. and it there's no reason to allow that negative energy of competition and comparison and judgment mm. into your business because or into your life period, but especially into your business when it's just going to drag you down. and then you're not going to be as successful because you can't be effective,
1: yeah. look, I want to be happy, and I want to offer people the best that I can offer them. And that does not allow a place for comparison or negativity. So that's just where I stand,
0: yeah. I love that. You keep standing, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the world post-COVID is going to be quite a bit different than the world pre-COVID. This applies to entrepreneurship and small business owners alike. You might be thinking that your brand is great and you don't need branding help. And if so, congrats. But the reality is that post-COVID, there are going to be a lot more people starting businesses, side gigs, and people jumping into entrepreneurship. Many people have lost their jobs and are trying to figure out how they can earn an income using the skill sets that they already have. Chances are you're going to see an influx of businesses launching in your area of expertise in the next few months. So how are you going to ensure your brand stands out and people hire you instead of someone else? I am here to help you answer that question. I am so excited to share that I am offering a free brand marketing masterclass, the three-day post-COVID brand intensive. The dates for the course are Monday, June 1st, Tuesday, June 2nd, and Wednesday, June 3rd at 12 p.m. Eastern time, all three days. The masterclass is for you if you want to start a side gig to supplement your income post-COVID, You want to take your hobby or passion into a business. You were laid off from your nine to five and want to explore entrepreneurship. You want to rebrand your business but aren't sure where to begin or the steps to take. You want to stand out from all the other businesses starting up post COVID. Or you want to find clarity and purpose for turning your hobby or passion into a business. We are going to cover so much in these three sessions. You'll have so much clarity and have an action plan blueprint for your brand strategy the free intensive will change the course of your business so to join be sure to join the brand marketing insider facebook group that's my private facebook group so that you don't miss the event the event is going to be live in the brand marketing insider facebook group and i'll be announcing the registration In the group so please head on over to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the brand marketing insider or just go to Facebook and do a search for the brand marketing insider and the group will come up but I really really hope that I see a lot of you in the masterclass because it is going to be amazing I am going to drop so Many valuable tips and strategies for marketing your brand and building a brand that you don't want to miss it. So, I will see you in the Brand Marketing Insider. I want to know from you, like, when is it time to hire someone to write your resume versus continuing to try to do this yourself, but not land the jobs you want to land?
1: Well, that's you've kind of summarized it there. How effective do you want to be? You know, resumes are not what they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. They are changing all the time. For example, about a year ago, it used to be considered the holy grail of resume writing to get your resume onto one page, right? You could be the person who is checking people out at Wawa, or you could be the CEO of Comcast. Doesn't matter. Get it on one page, right? That was the <laughs> conventional wisdom. That is totally different now. Now it's expected for people to go onto two pages, even if they have less job experience for two reasons. Reason number one is that modern resumes don't focus on a list of your job descriptions and, and your duties. Just listing what your job description is doesn't tell anyone that you actually did those things or that you did them with any level of excellence or specialness. What's different about you? So now the idea is to prove, to show rather than tell. So it's not enough to say great communicator. You know, only Ronald Reagan could get away with just saying that and leaving it just like that, right? No one else can. Now anyone can say it. Uh, it's just a description. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. But if you tell me, um, led an interdepartmental team to collaborate on a merger between three different projects, well, I know you're a great communicator. You just proved it to me. But that takes more space, right? So that's the first reason. We're going on to two pages. The second reason is that layout and this is where my journalism background comes in, layout is just as important to a modern resume as content. So you need to get past first the gatekeeper of, software out there that ranks your resumes, and then you need to get past the person who will read it. And that person will not be feeling very friendly towards you if they get a headache looking at your resume, because it's written in a minuscule font or a goofy font, and it's all squashed together. So try to fit everything onto one page. So white space, the negative space, is important in a resume, just as it is in graphic design, because our goal here is to lead the reader through and take them by the hands and guide them through the resume so that it's not hard, so that they feel happy, they feel supported, it's easy, they get to know you, and they feel that it wasn't daunting at all. So those are the reasons why resumes are just, there's there's a whole strategy behind them that I think people Might not realize if what they're used to is the traditional picture of a resume where you just put your name and contact information, and then I worked here from this date to this date, and this was what my duties were. Yeah. Which, by the way, doesn't work for everyone anyway, because if you are re entering the workforce, or you're switching careers, that type of resume is not the type that you need. There are different types. So one of the reasons you hire a resume writer is to consult with you on what type of resume is actually most advantageous for your particular position.
0: Oh, that's excellent.
1: Yeah, there are there are three main types out there, but there are, are variations between them. And one of the first things that I do with people is have a consultation on which one is best for you. Is it the straight chronological? That's best if you have an uninterrupted work history in the same field that you now want a job in. But if you're switching careers and you are re-ent- or re-entr reentering the workforce, say you're a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad, and you're going back into the workforce after that, you don't need a chronological resume because there's going to be gaps that will, make, that will not put you in the best possible light. What you need instead is either a combination or functional resume that highlights your transferable skills and shows how what you were doing up to this point positions you perfectly for the job that you now want to have. Oh, that's so
0: good to know. And (laughs) I mean, you know, the podcast is called the second phase podcast because we're Mm -hmm. talking about shifting from phase one to phase two. So this is, this information is so applicable.
1: Yeah. Anyone watching please, you know, just Google it. I'm not saying that you have to contact me for this, but Google functional resumes or combination resumes. If you're looking to switch, if you're looking to go into a second phase, because the straight chronological resume that you're probably thinking of is not going to work for you. Yeah. Look it up. That's so important Mm -hmm. because
0: I think a lot of people get into a rut and they, women, especially, well, or men, but, you know, stay at home parents get in, get in a rut thinking, oh. I'm never going to be able to get a job again. I've been out of the workforce, oh, but this is yeah. a great, this is a great piece of information to help understand that you can, you just have to present yourself the right way.
1: Right. And not only can you, but I, one of the things I love most, and I'm so glad you brought this up. This makes me so happy to talk about is working with people who are reentering the workforce. A mom who took the past 18 years off to raise her family, right? Um, a lot of times these folks come to me feeling like they're at a disadvantage like somehow they're behind the eight ball because of they weren't in the paid workforce for those years and what i love doing is showing them that they are actually in a position of power because just just because what you were doing wasn't paid or official it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and that it can't be presented and framed and organized in a way that shows that you are perfectly suited for what the prospective employer might be looking for. So I help people transform that feeling of overwhelm and, oh gosh, could, you know, am I going to be seen unfavorably compared to someone else into one of confidence and empowerment? And that's the attitude that you go into with an interview when you get called, because you do have a lot to offer.
0: Oh gosh, I love that. This is very empowering.
1: Yeah, it's meant to be. That's what words do. That's what words do. That's why I really believe that words are, um, and I know this is something that we've talked about, Robin. I don't, feel like, I don't like to think of words as tools. I don't like to think of words as something that you have a toolkit and you open it when you need them. Okay, time to write a resume. Let me open up my toolbox, pull out the wrench, oh, here's the resume. That's a very utilitarian approach to words. And the approach that I take and the approach that I like to encourage others to take is to form a friendship with words, to have a relationship so that you're not just having to call on them when you need them. You have an ongoing rapport. And when you do need them, they come to you more readily and you're already in a partnership and you can stand side by side to accomplish a common goal. So I really believe that the way that we relate to words, the way that we use them, the respect that we give them, the frequency with which we interact with them will affect our ability to produce beautifully crafted writing.
0: Well, you just said that so eloquently that I have no (laughs) doubt that you could make my resume absolutely stunning. (laughs) Why,
1: thank you. I my relationship with words is a long-standing one. It started when I was 6 years old. I got my first library card. It was a magical moment and it's forever emblazoned on my memory and it's just going on since and it's really a love affair. Um it, Oh, I'm I, so glad yeah. you
0: said that because as I was looking at your questionnaire, I wrote the words she has a love affair with words. It is.
1: It's, it's very, you know, to maybe to be a little bit goofy with the analogy, it's the difference between a love affair, which is a long, nourishing, meaningful relationship versus utilitarian, which would be like a booty call, like the literary equivalent of a booty call, right? <laughs> I just want something real quick. Let me just grab what I want. Mildly satisfying, no lasting real results, you know? <laughs> But if you have an actual relationship where there is love, where there is respect, where there's, I'm in awe of the power of words and their beauty. I, I just think they're beautiful the way my fiance thinks I'm beautiful. You know, it's just, it, it, it is something that lends a whole different tenor and character and caliber to the way that you can then work with words together.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. So we dove into resumes, which are so, so very important, but something else that is extremely important, especially right now is LinkedIn. Yes. Because right now LinkedIn is a platform where people can really take advantage of that space. There's no algorithm. They can make connections and with, ideal clients with potential employers. So I would love to have, and you have a phrase that you use to describe LinkedIn, which I cannot wait for you to share with the listeners because I love it. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to mess it up. But um, I would love for you to first of all tell that little phrase and then tell us a little bit about LinkedIn. And as we're approaching our LinkedIn profiles, what are things that we need to consider and think about with when we're choosing the words to include on our profiles?
1: I love this question. I am a LinkedIn evangelist. I absolutely love the platform because it is narrative in nature. So I'm going to get to that phrase in a second, but I want to set it up by saying that the biggest misconception out there is that people think that LinkedIn is just the online repository of their resume. They copy and paste the resume into the LinkedIn profile and nothing could be further from the truth. Resumes are highly curated edited documents. So if you're, you know, I I might be dating myself, or maybe I watch too much TV land, but they're the Joe Friday of your personal branding, right? They're just the facts, ma'am. Very matter of fact, very straightforward. Whereas LinkedIn is like Dostoevsky with a vodka saying, tell me a story, right? It's just, (laughs) it's a totally different vibe. So the idea behind LinkedIn is that this is where you get to say things that you don't have the space for in your resume, your why, what drives you, what you're passionate about, why you got into whatever your profession is, what you love about it, what makes you proud, what excites you, what you learned. All of those things are, there is space built into that, into the LinkedIn profile. And the phrase that that you're alluding to, Robin, is that if Facebook and Google had a kid and it was super smart and a little bit nerdy, but really fun also, it would be LinkedIn, right? (laughs) So because LinkedIn is searchable, it's searchable. There is a social element to it, but it's not the place where you're going to post, you know, the somewhat questionable pictures from your weekends and, you know, (laughs) you're not going to put them there, but there is a social aspect. However, it's also very professional and it is searchable, which is why, to go to the last part of your question, the words that we use matter. And so, and there are certain parts of the LinkedIn profile that are more heavily weighted by LinkedIn for these searches. So, and I'll tell people right now, the top four, right? It's your headline, it's your about section, And it's your job, it's your job title, actually top three. Those are the most important three. Um, There's a reason I went into writing and not math. (laughs) Um, And your job title. So those are the three areas where you want to be most conscious of organically, naturally interweaving words that you want to be found in searches for, right? So if you're a photographer, if you're a branding expert, as you are. right, You want to be sure to include those words more in those areas than anywhere else. Don't, don't do what people say. Um, they call it stuffing. right? If, if you don't want to sound like a bot where you just strung together a list of keywords. It has to be natural, but be aware that there are parts of the LinkedIn profile that LinkedIn looks at more heavily than others when it decides whether they're going to put you as a, a, a search result. When people do a search for a branding expert, a photographer, a writer, graphic designer, or whatever the case might be. So what you want to include in your LinkedIn profile, the number one tip that I can give for people is to find the golden thread that connects everything that you do and focus on that. Use that as your anchor for the about section and for all of your job experiences and for your headline. So for me, that is about connecting people with words. And what, my, what I tried to do in my LinkedIn profile was show how that love for the power of words was in everything I did, even when I wasn't, even when my job wasn't to be a writer, even when my job was to be a teacher, right? So you want to show the cohesion. It wants to be one cohesive story. And LinkedIn gives you the, the ability to do that in a beautiful way. It is, it is a storyteller's dream. LinkedIn is a storyteller's dream.
0: Oh, I love that perspective because I, th- I think a lot of people and a lot of my clients have, it just overwhelms them to even think about it. And they think about it more as a social media platform. And mm-hmm. it's so not that. There's so much power there.
1: It's not that. W- what I will say though is this. Um, it is social in the aspect that in order to leverage it to its greatest capacity, there is an etiquette that goes with it. And part of that etiquette is being active. Now, that doesn't mean spending hours. um, And it doesn't mean the same kind of active as you would do on Facebook or on Instagram or some of the other platforms that are out there. However, if you, never, if you never go on to your profile, if you never interact with other people, your profile will not be as relevant as it could be. So the number one tip that I give people on how to leverage a profile once they have a good one in place is to be a mensch. Go on and be a good person. Put kindness into the online world. Like people's posts, share them, comment on them. Share a good article that you read. Every, every month, once a month, I go onto my LinkedIn profile and I do what I call a kindness spree, where I go through some contacts and I just pull them up and I think, how can I support this person? Can I endorse them for something? Can I write them a recommendation? Did they just make a post that I can share or comment on? What little boost can I give them? and sometimes that results in them returning something to me. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It raises the bar of the, of the interaction in general to be one of kindness and support. We are all in this together, and it can be a kindly experience if we support it to be that way.
0: Well, and it's great because LinkedIn actually shows on your profile, it will show all of the things you liked, commented mm-hmm. on, and everything. So people can get a real good idea of your personality and the things that mean a lot to you. So it's, it really is a tool for personal branding because it's infusing mm-hmm. your personality into your profile or your business or your position within the organization you work for.
1: Yes, I think it's the most well rounded and comprehensive platform out there, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I think even more than your website. LinkedIn gives you the opportunity to go into details and to show aspects of your personality at length that you might, I don't believe that there is the opportunity to do that in very many other venues.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity and and some things I've even learned from you. Like if you're working on a project, you can incorporate that. If you're, if you're working on a collaboration, you can incorporate that. And you also can have a business page that is linked to Mm -hmm. your page. So absolutely. You know, in addition to having a professional headshot for your profile picture, there are a lot of amazing things you can do to get attention, to, to really prove yourself without proving yourself, that you're an mm-hmm. expert in your area, that you're personable and that you care about quality and all of those things.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a place to be yourself and to really let the aspects of your personality unfurl in a beautiful way. And yes, that, that has a natural attraction to it, as well as a technical attraction, because the more active you are, the more LinkedIn says, hey, this person is active, you know, they're going to show up in more search results. Yeah, so there are yeah. definitely strategic, there are definitely strategic benefits as well as humanitarian benefits, which brings me to another point that I know that we've talked about, and that is that I believe that you don't have to pick between them. Right. So many times people think, Am I going to be strategic and savvy in a business way, or am I going to be authentic and heart centered and true to myself? And I think that there is, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there. It's a false dichotomy, it's a false choice. You don't have to pick. It's not an either or world, it's a both and. And you can be 100% smart and effective and savvy and use best practices. And still be yourself. I love to emphasize that with clients, especially with young people. When I work with young people who are having their first resume or creating the foundation of their LinkedIn profile, I coach them to understand this is the place to set the tone. Be yourself. Yes. Be smart. Yes. know What goes into writing a good resume? Yes. Use all the best practices, but that doesn't mean that you have to give up the core of who you are and you can have both of those things and you'll be more successful and you'll be happier if you do that.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's a really, really good recommendation. Own all of those gifts mm-hmm. and just yes. present them collectively. hmm yeah.
1: Absolutely. Okay.
0: So I want to just really quickly because we're, our time is, is running out, but oh I my really goodness quickly, gracious. <laughs> I know, right. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, I want to hear a little bit about what you do for speakers.
1: Sure. So for speakers, I help them with their bios. I help them with their one sheets. And I really enjoy having consultations with speakers where they send me their script ahead of time. And it can be at any stage. It can be at the stage where you're just trying to organize or at the stage where you need fine tuning. And then we have a consultation and we go over it together through a Zoom call and uh, have, you know, suggestions. What I enjoy most of all there is helping someone at the ends of the, the consultation come to the conclusion that, wow, that's what I wanted to say. That's what's in my heart, right? My job as a coach, as a writer, as someone who helps connect people with words, as a consultant is to help uncover what's already in you. And yes, I can give suggestions about wording or phrasing or, hey, we need an example here, or, hey, we need... To work on transitions between your ideas. Here's, let's brainstorm some transitions so that it flows more smoothly. Um, Yes, all of that comes into play, but the end result should be that the core of your idea comes through and shines. It's more like peeling away than it is adding on. And I love doing that with speakers.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And then I want to hear a little bit about your heart smart method of writing. Because this is your baby. You you came up with
1: this. (laughs) So this ties back to what we were just talking about. It's based on my belief that we don't have to choose between being smart and using our hearts. So as I've worked with clients, I realized that I have intuitively been working with them in a way that supports both intelligence and effectiveness in, in sort of a business savvy kind of way, but also supports them looking at what I've given them and saying, that feels like me, you got me, you got my voice. That's the combination that needs to happen. So what I'm doing is putting into a system what I have been doing intuitively on my own. I'm practicing it. And eventually my goal is to train other people in this method so that we can not only help one person at a time, but eventually change the culture, uh, change the way society thinks about the use of words. That's my end game. I do love working with people one-on-one, and I I see myself always doing that, but I also desire a, a wider impact. And I think that on the societal level, teaching others a method that helps them to take this personal approach, this immersive approach, intuitive, intelligent, wedding intuition and intelligence together, teaching that as a system, I think can have exponential results. Whereas if I'm just me, I get one person at a time and I don't want to discount that, but I also don't want to stop there.
0: Well, and you've now come full circle because now you're coming back to teaching.
1: Yeah. It never went away.
0: No. I love it. I love it. I think it's just always going to be part of you.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Okay. So now on to a couple of fun questions. Okay. What is your favorite book or what book would you recommend to the listeners?
1: Okay. So my favorite book has nothing to do with writing or anything practical. It's probably one of the most fanciful books I've ever read, but it is The Once and Future King and the author is T.H. White. It's about King Arthur, and it is romantic in the truest sense of the word. It's just something that brings out the poet in in anybody, and I love it. And I've been reading it probably every year since I've been in high school. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It's just one of those books that when you read it and you feel like, yeah, maybe there really is magic. Maybe there really is. Maybe fairies are real. You know, it just puts you in that mindset of possibility and wonder, which I think is so essential to happiness and um, a happy life, a productive life.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. Okay, and a favorite quote?
1: So my favorite quote is a Persian proverb and it goes like this. If you have two loaves of bread, Sell one and buy hyacinths. And again, you, can, you might notice a theme here. <laughs> so, my theme is that beauty and wonder matter just as much as the practical aspects, the quote, unquote, practical, because to me, they're just as practical. I don't see a dichotomy between, or a choice that has to be made between the practical and the beautiful, because I think to be an integrated person and a person who's fully alive, we need both. Our our bodies are fed by food, our souls are fed by beauty, and it's not good for either one of those to fail, right? So I love that proverb because Two loaves of bread, sell one. by hyacinths. You have your dinner, and you're looking at something beautiful at the same time.
0: I love it. I love it, and I love hyacinths. So
1: that's me too. There's such okay. an Easter. I, it smells like Easter to me. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one
0: hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Okay, now it's your turn. Do you have any questions for me?
1: I do, and <clears throat> my question for you, Robin, is: I know that when I work with people, a lot of times they're coming to me from a place of overwhelm right? Because the writing process can be daunting. They don't know where to start. I imagine that as a branding expert, people come to you oftentimes, maybe not always, but oftentimes with a feeling of overwhelm. Where do I start? Maybe they have limited resources. What's more important? The headshot, the website, the LinkedIn profile, a one sheet. How do you step into that space with people and help them to prioritize in a way that gets them the best result, and also gives them a sense of clarity in the process and ease in the process, which I know you do because I've seen it. So I want to pick your brain a little bit for free, I guess, about how you do that, how you step into that process with them.
0: So one thing that has to come into play is what their end goal is and whether or not they are a service provider or they have a product. And what, you know, what is their goal? Is their goal to have a brand that stands out and makes an impact? Is their brand something that they have a product that's going to sell itself? Mm-hmm. If they're a service industry, we really have to prioritize getting them noticed and allowing people to get to know them, like them and trust them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People buy pro- do not buy products and Products and services per se, they buy personalities. Yes. So, as a branding expert, my goal is to get their personality out into the world first, and to help them understand why that's important. So, if someone is on a tight budget, there are a few things that they absolutely need to have a successful business. They may not have to have a complete website, you know, a, a, you know, an eight-page website or something mm-hmm. immediately. But they need a place that they own where people can find them and they can have some continuity and some consistency Mm -hmm. with putting content on it and really letting people get to know them there. They will ultimately need a logo, want a logo, having branding colors and a mood board to help design a logo are all very, very important. But Mm -hmm. you have to be the face of your brand before anybody's going to get to know you like you and trust you. Mm -hmm. So I always, always, always say, if you are on a strict budget, the very first thing you should do is invest in a professional headshot. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a full branding shoot. Um, uh, in fact, I offer a, a free smartphone photography guide so that people can take decent pictures of themselves, or you know, using a tripod and their and their smartphone,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: if they don't have that budget item for a wow. full what branding
1: a, shoot. What a great resource.
0: Or to, yeah. Or to um, invest in both photography and a logo. Mm-hmm. Get your professional headshot because you can use, like you were talking about LinkedIn, you can use LinkedIn as a huge resource to mm-hmm. share your knowledge with everyone and build that emotional connection, which is going to ultimately mm-hmm. land the no like, and trust factor and solidify that for you. You can use Facebook, you can use Instagram, but you have to have a profile picture so that people understand who you are and yes. have that picture on all of those platforms, the mm-hmm. same one. So that front and center on your, even if it's a one page website without a block, you have the ability to put enough content on that one page that people can through words, understand who you are and Mm -hmm. and get to know you like you and trust you, but then see your face right there front and center. And then your face is across all those other platforms that you can use for free to get all of your information out there. Mm -hmm. So it really, it really does depend on what the end goals are for the business and whether or not they're a product or service industry. But the key, no matter what, I'm always going to say the priority is going to be to become the face of your brand and communicate Mm -hmm. effectively, through the imagery, but also through the written content and using your words to convey what you're an expert at, what problem you solve and grow that know, like, and trust factor first mm-hmm. and foremost. And then everything else can come into play
1: later. Mm-hmm. But- I love that. Mm-hmm. That's such a, a person-centered approach to business. And I think that's what, I think that's a groundswell that's happening in the world today. And I think it's what's needed to really understand that people buy from people. It's not so much about describing the endless features of your product or service. It's about making that emotional connection. And we do that person to person. I think business goes better. And I think the world will be better the more we focus on people. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Did that answer your question?
1: It sure did. I I mean, and I love the fact that, you know, one of the the top things that you are suggesting is the professional headshot. However, you're so cognizant of people's situations and budgets that you offer a free resource for them to have a stopgap measure and do something themselves that still looks better. And we're professional than, you know, the picture where you photoshopped out your ex, you know, and you're, or you're standing right. there while holding a drink on, you know, on a veranda somewhere. Right. Yeah. So or those on the beach are, in your bikini. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, those things will, in, and actually this is something I say to clients a lot. If you don't have that minimal level of professionalism in place, there are people who want to list their LinkedIn profile on their resume. And if it's not Optimized at least to a minimal level, I advise them to leave it off because it will do you more harm than good to have mm-hmm. an unprofessional image out there. Wait until you have it a little bit more in place, not the generic blue with the white connector dots as your background image, something that presents you as the face of your business, as the, mm-hmm. you know, who you are, your personality before you start publicizing it. So I think you're right on the money. And I love your approach to it. It's, it's smart and it's also supportive.
0: No, oh, thank you. Thank you. So Marissa, with that, we probably should wrap up, but I could talk to you all day. You I that. know, I <laughs> um, <laughs> um, where can our listeners find you?
1: So the two easiest places to find me are on my website, uh, which is easy. My website is my name, and on LinkedIn. And you can just do a search for Marissa Pulselli. I am the only one out there. So I didn't have to put any special letters or numbers at the end of my name. There's only one Marissa Pulselli there. So I'm happy to connect with anybody who would like to. Um, My email address for questions is also my name, marissa at marissapulselli.com. So if any listeners have a question or want to connect, please feel free to drop me a line. I'd be very happy to meet you and talk with you.
0: Oh, that's such a, oh, such a gracious offering. Thank you, Marissa.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. I'm very honored to be here. I am such a huge fan of yours and um, just admire you as a human being and a professional and um, just very blessed to have you in my life and to be here today.
0: Oh, thank you. I feel so the same about you. You know that. And (laughs)
1: listeners,
0: she's a doll. Like She's just a gem to have in my life. So um, thank you so much for taking time to be here. I really appreciate it.
1: You're so welcome, Robin. Have a marvelous day.
0: Thank you. And that's a wrap friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at TheRobinGraham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, the Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the Second Phase Podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.